Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Buckle your seatbelts. You're about to hear about one of the most dramatic, profound, um, unprepared awakenings that, 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 that I've ever heard. And this, this is Kieran Trace, and she has tremendous amount of experience with awakening, with integration, with emotion and shadow work. We're going to talk about all of that, and we're going to talk about a podcast she has and her other resources. So first, I just want to welcome, this is Kieran. Welcome to the channel. Hi. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. It's nice to meet your audience. Yeah, nice to have you. I've been, it'd been in the back of my mind. I'd known, I knew we were going to have the conversation, and I was just kind of feeling into the right time, and I'm, I'm totally excited to do this. So maybe just take us back a little bit to whatever you think is relevant for this conversation to before this initial shift. Where were you in life, and what, what was life like for you? How'd you grow up? You know, whatever you think is relevant. Um, let's see. I had a very traumatic upbringing. Um, and that, uh, I mean, I think that deeply affected what came later, especially in terms of shadow work and that kind of stuff. Um, so I came from, um, a type of abuse called ritualistic abuse, and I grew up in a really, really dark place. And, um, when, I got old enough to kind of be on my own, which was as soon as humanly possible. I headed out of uh, my um, living situation and moved into my own place. And that's when I started in my own life to deal with quite extreme levels of PTSD. So what it looked like for me is that my own body would have startling reactions over any level of trigger. So it could be a door slamming. It could be uh, a sentence somebody said. It could be the sound of some music. It could be a smell. It could be a pattern on a on a tree or a leaf pattern. Um, and it would hit. And then I would go into various states of fairly extreme PTSD. Um, prior to the PTSD episode, I had no memory. I didn't remember anything. So my consciousness was rather present to begin with. Um, so I could tell you what was here, but if you'd asked me like, you know, like at 20 years old, if you said to me, who was your best friend in grade eight, I would be like, wow. I don't remember. I don't remember grade eight. I don't remember grade nine. <laughs> I don't remember anything prior. It was all, I had no idea. Um, some of the memories so the memories would come up through the PTSD episodes and it was really my body shedding the stress you know that had been held in all my tissues and my you know like the, the body holds it the body has the memory so my consciousness was here but the body was responding to multiple states of consciousness um and so I did a lot of the traditional PTSD supports I did, I was with therapists, I was working with cognitive reframements, um, but it didn't stop the fact that 
And especially if it was like, and I wouldn't know what the trigger was. It was not like, it's not like your body gives you this map and says like, here's all the things that are going to trigger it, you know? Um, but I did, um, I did have a few, quite a few times that I would just black out completely. So whatever the trigger would be, I would black out completely and it could be three or four days later before I would come conscious. And in those cases, sometimes I was in a different city. It was like, and there would be this like a few hours of just trying to reconnect, like, who am I? What's my name? Where am I? Like, wow, gathering it up. So, um, so my life was mostly lived in a trying to heal process. And I actually had a, not a terrible life. Like it was a sweet life. Like I had um, comfortable work and, and, you know, I did go to university and I got a university degree, you know, like, like the optics on the surface, I was hitting key milestones with about 20% of my life energy and 80% of my life energy was reading every single book, studying with as many different people as I could get and just trying to trying to keep a conscious a, a state of consciousness consistent mm. for at first it was like can I stay conscious for a week mm. you know and then it was like can I stay without blacking out without hitting these intense stages you know some of the PTSD episodes would like a trigger would happen and I'd be curled into a fetal pose for three days in total shock you know like just like it was big and so I Everything was about that. But I remember the times, like I remember it was like, you know, like five years or eight years into that where I could like hold where it would be like, I remember like the three month anniversary of like three months without having an episode hmm. and, and, and actually being able to function in this, like at that surface optic, you know, like, like being able to hit those milestones. And then I remember when it was like six months, like I remember that, like, it's been six months since I've had an episode. Like I can maintain consciousness, you know, like consistently. Um, so there was a real kind of a trajectory upwards. And inside of that, I will say that every now and then there were like fairly intense triggers that would sort of hit um, hit so hard. It was a question of like, do I want to survive this? Mm -hmm. You know, like, do I want to survive this? And I kind of put that forward because sometimes awakening, when the shadow comes in on you, there is that thought. Like, oh, yeah. there is this kind of suicidal ideation that really comes on for awakening people. And, um, and so the precursor for me was often when it hit really hard and some of these times were just really very difficult. There was a very real question in me, like, is it worth surviving this? Like, <laughs> is that really what I want, you know? Um, but I got into a point, um, and I was, um, you know, quite functional on the outside optics. I could maintain my consciousness some for like, you know, like I could do six months, but then maybe I'd have an episode, but then maybe I'd do another two months. And then I, you know, like it felt very doable. It was manageable. And... And then, um, so for me, I had gotten to a place where I felt like I knew the path forward for me. Mm -hmm. I knew 
the the work I wanted, you know, like the healing work that I needed to be doing, the the therapist and the and the the support that I needed in my life had it. I was seeing the results. Yeah. Um. So I had a really clear sense of like, okay, this this is where I'm going. You know, like this is, this is my who I am. Forward. Yeah. Exactly. Um. And then. Yeah, you're you're putting your shoes on, right? Is that is that? I was what? just like putting my shoes on. Can I ask um, one more thing before we get into this? Yeah. You you didn't have a specifically like spiritual or let's say Buddhist background. I had heard of awakening. I'd heard of enlightenment. Like those were not familiar no. even topics for you, much less some kind of actual insight or seeking. I no nothing in terms of the spiritual what we might call you know the spiritual marketplace no nothing no no awareness of it zen was like i thought it was an interior design style based on something <laughs> japanese but i like had no interface with it um i did one time have like there was a in a group i studied there was a gal with ptsd as well and she was really looking at buddhist stuff and i thought she was so stupid for that i was like talk about a hideout why are you hiding out like that? You know, like it's so funny because today I hear about like the woke culture that calls out spirituality as a bypass. I remember that mindset. Mm -hmm. I remember what that was like where you're looking at this and you're going, you have real world problems, girl. Like yeah. you have real fucking world problems. And here you are like studying fucking mantras and bullshit. Like <laughs> talk about escapism. Like, right. <laughs> so that was honest to God, my only experience of it. That being said, I will say, that I had studied a lot of one human development patterns, which is kind of a longer story, but um, it was a, it was an early way. When I was 12 years old, um, something so heinous happened in my home, the home where I was staying, um, that was literally unrecoverable from. It was, it was such a horror story, worse than the horror stories you can think of. It was the worstest thing. I don't go into details, so I don't need people to have that image in their heads. I'm not interested in it. But something so heinous happened. I jumped on my bike and I just rode my bike as fast as I could. Um, and I landed at a community center. And I volunteered for whatever program they had that day. <laughs> and I volunteered to coach it. And what happened was they created a mentorship with me over the years. So starting with 12 years old. Um, and train me and the training went on and on. I went into like early leadership training and like by the time I was 16 years old, I was being actually paid a very good adult salary, learning and studying and teaching human development patterns. <laughs> it was like a, it was just like this, this amazing life just sort of picked me up out of this and put me here. Mm. And I stayed in that world, um, which was about like community building and human development patterns and leadership. And I stayed not in the community center, but I worked with neighborhood houses and then boys and girls clubs and then um, the various different programs that they have for, you know, for, for at-risk youth. And, and so I was being trained at really a high level to work as a support person in these environments in that 20% where the optics were looking good there yeah. versus the 80% where I was trying to survive my own life, my own trauma. Um, so in that space... I would say, in and also when I went to university and my university degree, and, and I worked a lot with that risk youth there, there was like a need to just be quiet sometimes. You know, like 
to just be quiet and just wait for the inspiration to arrive. Mm. So I would say that I had a fair amount of training on learning how to be quiet mm. and wait for inspiration. Yeah. It wasn't based in spirituality. It had no reference to anything that came before, but it did have to do with the present moment and letting a human system find a way to some kind of agency or literacy. So if I'm working with at use risk or I'm working with developmentally impaired adults or I'm working with children with severe autism, I know I've been so well trained that I know there's just you just have to sometimes wait in silence before their being can expose itself. Mm -hmm. So there was that, yeah. I would say. I would say, and that, you know, life put that up under me, totally spontaneous, and it was my way to survive my own trauma. Mm -hmm. And it also, obviously, this vaster intelligence weaving threads together, yeah. you know, to create what is who I am today and what I bring to the world today and what is my my purpose, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I find that to be the case with people who wake up is I what I often do is try to help them find those threads in their own life because I can't tell you how to wake up, but you already know, you know? Um yeah. Buddhism can point, it can, it has good pointers, Advaita Vedanta, all the, there's pointers everywhere, but it's you the awakening's coming from within you and and that deep acknowledgement of that and that surrender to it, all that that's that's what that's what's what in my opinion and the awakening was there is you yeah you know sometimes people write to me a lot and they'll say this is this is easy for you or <laughs> you know like like you had it really easy you had the spontaneous like you came to the it was really easy for you mm -hmm. and in one way they are right mm -hmm. i was forced yeah. <laughs> you know like through an enormous amount of trauma um I was forced. I didn't have a choice. I couldn't be like, maybe I'll inquire or maybe I won't, right? Because I'll lose consciousness, black out, and end up four days later somewhere else. And I don't know what happened to me in between. So I don't have a choice. I have to explore that. And that is lucky. Yeah. There is something lucky about being forced, you know, like gun to your head. Yeah. Like die or figure it out now Yeah. versus kind of a trauma where you might have a choice yeah. where you could sort of be like maybe i'll look but maybe i'll drift into escapism for a few more years do you know what i mean like oh i know I exactly what you mean have that yeah yeah and you know i think so, anyone who says who would say that to you would also very quickly acknowledge they would never want to live the life you lived up into that point of course they would is um yeah but suffering you know samsara is nirvana suffering is the match that lights up enlightenment at one level or another for some people, it's just a matter of me getting them in touch with their own suffering and realizing you actually do suffer more than you realize, probably, you know, if you really look and see what's going on under the hood. And yeah. suffering is, is it's so divine in a way. It's fucking horrible. And I, I have to acknowledge my heart really goes out to that little child that went through everything. I mean, I can't not acknowledge that. Uh, I just, you know, really, I just feel it. Thank <laughs> you. But, and yeah. Thank you. But, uh, and so I would never wish that on anybody. God, never. Uh, and yet when someone comes to me after a tragedy they've lost someone you know they've lost their health they've lost a spouse like i do empathize and also the fact that they're coming to me is saying something you got my attention and you have an opportunity <laughs> so well this is the key right i mean this is the key that we start to learn is that which that which we think is the optic of our life mm -hmm. it isn't mm -hmm. and it, it isn't at all and 
the opportunity that was gifted to me through numerous extreme experiences let me see that the experience wasn't what I thought it was and what I thought happened didn't happen. And, you know, like as you pierce those surface layers, right, here's the surface optic of what occurred. There was this trauma, there was this ritual abuse. You, you pierce through that, these layers, you go the deeper, 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 deeper that you get, that you see you are and what is, it that drastically transforms everything on the surface. Mm-hmm. It, and it, it, it redefines what it all is. And that's the opportunity of our suffering. Right, the suffering is the thing that pierces the illusion. Right, that's going to pierce through it. Mm-hmm. And so, everybody, whether you have quite extreme trauma, in my case, or if you have medium trauma, if you have no trauma, if you don't think you have any trauma, if you don't even think you have a pain body, but there are these stuck challenges, overwhelmed places for you, then that becomes this beautiful opportunity to pierce through the illusion, mm-hmm. and. You know, when I was making fun of this girl in therapy with me, I was completely so oblivious to that ridiculous. She was on a journey to start to pierce the story of her own pain. Mm -hmm. And I was like, girl, you got real issues here. What the fuck are you doing, transient? Do you know what I mean? Like, we got to work just like the voices of, you know, you just hear that woke culture that's like, don't spiritual bypass. Like, we, we have real problems. Like, racism is a real problem as if. We didn't know, you know, like, but to pierce through these kinds of really intense injustices we're seeing in the world and pierce down to see what's really what they who they are really and what it is really is to transform everything. Yeah. And um, I remember like, you know, I missed all that with her, but life sure showed me. Showed you. So so then there was a moment you were as we were talking about, you were putting your shoes on. Tell us. Yeah. See if you can walk us through that a little bit. Like maybe I know it's sure. there's no words for I know, but it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful invitation. Thank you. It's been many years, you know, since I walked back to those moments. So it's it's just it's lovely to actually think about. It. I think of it so fondly. It was so extreme, and it was actually worse than my childhood abuse and my PTSD. But from knowing what it all is today, I actually have such a sweet love of it. it it seems like oh this sweet thing where i just got the shit beaten out of me you know like and like so deeply like 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 of every illusion of me through any lifetime of me you know like i was my childhood i just got the shit beat out of like kieran you know like when i woke up i got the shit beaten out of who i was for a thousand lifetimes you know like like <laughs> so it was a much bigger pounding but um, but I think today I think of it as so sweet and fondly. And, I, and truth be told, I've had worse awakenings down the road. But let's just say, but but it's the wrong. It's the I'm casting the wrong story because it's it's beautiful. It's actually something so beautiful. But yeah, so I was who who I was then at quite a functional place. Um, I was loving the work I did. I was loving who was supporting me in my healing journey. I really felt an enormous amount of fulfillment and success in the healing journey and the tools I was using. The whole thing was culminating in such a really rich place for me. Um, 
And so, and I had a lot of mental stability. I started to have, you know, I was having financial stability. I was having psychic stability. Like I was stable for the first time mm -hmm. in my known existence at that point. I was still a very young woman. You know, I was 33 years old. I, I wasn't, I was just, literally just turned 33. So 32 years old, quite a young woman to me now. Um, and yeah, literally I was just going to... Um, to meet my mother and her twin sister. I did not grow up with my mother. I, I was abducted as a young child and, and taken into a different home. But um, but I was, so I was going to meet my biological birth mother and her twin sister for lunch. Um, or I had, actually, I had met them for lunch and I, we had a lovely time. I remember like my aunt had bought me this sweet little teapot that I really liked. Um, and I came home and I was just, putting on my shoes to go turn around and meet a friend. And, uh, you know, it was like a wonderful Saturday. Out for lunch with mom, off to visit Finding the friend. your own business, you know, not bothering anybody. my own business, <laughs> probably going to. And my friend was like a real meditator also, but not like a spiritual meditator. She was practicing different yoga techniques. I thought it was kooky. I didn't understand any of it. Um, <laughs> you know, like, but, and then, you know, I was probably going to have a quiet night and, and just, you know, whatever. So that was the plan. And I literally just turned to grab my shoes as I put my shoes on. It was a very quick flash, instantaneously. Enough for me to catch sort of like my last thought, my last human thought, which was, um, gosh, our bodies are so beautiful. Like, we don't acknowledge that enough. And like, that was it. Mine, fuse blown, gone. And what I had, what had happened is I was tying up my shoes. It, it had started to like go my mind, my fun, all of that human, human filter stuff uh, started to dissolve. And what I had seen was this like golden hue, this, this, the, the energetic body. I just saw the body as pure golden energy. But then a millisecond later, it was gone as well. There was no body. There was no wall there was no room there was no shoes there was no nothing i wasn't looking out my eyes i was looking out from awareness a vast awareness and the vast awareness was seeing itself as as pure nothing mm -hmm. and but but there was an awareness of like in a very funny way and people who have been through the process can relate to like how funny it can be it can be like so funny because you're like I swore there was a wall here, you know, like it was so ridiculous that I thought this, that's nothing, was a wall. That's hysterical. And so um, what I was watching was awareness itself, not not orienting off of this being even a little bit, hmm. orienting from a much vaster space. And that master space was watching itself hmm. and it was watching itself make what what I would call a choice. So it was like it was like energy choosing to make itself a wall. But but I could see like there isn't a wall. Like the like like energy's not making a shape. Yeah. But there's a there's a there's a mechanism coming in here to imagine it was. And so I was watching that. So it went from this golden light energy body to like nothingness seeing nothingness. And watching this very subtle peripheral, imagining it was somethingness, you know, and uh, that's so fascinating to me. Like to me, the, the one of the reasons I, I I don't mean to interrupt the story too much, but like to just sh showcase some of these aspects for people because there's so much here. 
And one of the reasons I say this is such a profound awakening is like you went from nothing to that's clear non-dual, what I, what I call non-dual, meaning no form at all, no sense of form whatsoever. The, the illusion of form has completely disappeared and also time and space disappeared. It's not, this probably didn't feel temporal at all to you and no sense. No, no, no. It was God. It was definitely states of samadhi, early stages of samadhi. Samadhi is yeah. a spectrum I learned later. But it was, yeah, it went from like absolutely nothing, very ordinary consciousness to a rather deep stage of samadhi, like pierced through awakening, pierced through non-dual, pierced through the void, pierced through, you know, like into early stages of like early spectrum of samadhi, you know. Um, and it didn't go away. That was the key thing. Like it didn't fade back. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like a moment and then it stayed because the things, anything that was seeing other than that, like blue fuses is what it felt like. It felt like those fuses were blown. Mm. So I, like you, have had a lot of experience of people having various insights, maybe not nearly so deep, but they have an insight and then it swings back to ordinary consciousness. But for me, all of that filtration blew out. Mm-hmm. So it didn't come back. Did you have trouble, like even with three-dimensional navigation of like bumping into things and probably I'm sure driving was very challenging at first and- Well, like, I, didn't drive, I didn't drive for two and a half years. Like, oh, oh, it was crazy. No, no, no. It was like, I couldn't find form. So it was like, I couldn't figure out how to like, yeah. it's so funny because it, it turned out all along it's doing itself which is what we begin to learn, right? So we begin to, it's like, so I came at it almost from the opposite side of the spectrum where most people are coming this way. Yeah. And I popped out to the biggest and then sort of came in this way from itself, from it and how it moves into the world and how it does it, which is sort of like, this is why like my brand or who I am is this one who's like startling clarity, you know, crystal clear mapping of your freedom. It's because I came in this way, you know, like I'm not, I didn't come up this route, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. and so, yeah, so like, yeah, it was very, um, yeah, I wrote a book, Tools for Sanity, where I talk a lot about what that stages were, but some of the key elements was like, just trying to figure out where the body was mm-hmm. and how to feed it. Like, mm-hmm. it was not, like that took some time you know like there was an awareness that there was a body here and the awareness that there should be some food like there was there was like this peripheral signatures like these choices Mm -hmm. and i remember that that one might mean hunger Mm. or like you know like i would have these memories of like what that kind of but i had no idea how to solve that or how to take care of that or how to and so there was a lot of like watching how it did itself, but there was like, like I think it was three or four days before I could figure out how to eat at all, wow. you know? And then when I could figure out like where to put it and what it was, and even to see it, cause it wasn't different from itself, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> right. Did you, did people around you, like, did you tell anyone, Hey, some, something happened here or were they helped? Did they have to help you? Or how did people respond to it that you were, It's really interesting, right? Because of course, it does itself, right? We learn that it comes in and it takes care of itself. And it's been taking care of itself before I was born. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it's been weaving my life. And it's been weaving the story of me from 
from age out of mind, you know, like from so many lifetimes, this process, you know, has been happening. Um, so I had been living with a roommate. The roommate had a crush on a boy who I thought was a silly spiritual boy, not at all attractive, not at all interesting. And he had come for dinner the first time I'd met him. His name was Christopher. I, I have the first books dedicated to him and I have some um, on my YouTube channel. I talk about when I first awoke and I, I mentioned Christopher, but um, so he, um, he'd come for dinner um, like rather like just I can't remember if it was like a night before or a week before yeah. he comforted us the first time I met him and I remember thinking why do you have a crush on this this guy you know and when I popped open um, we had I had wrote about this like my roommate and I we knew this sketch from the John Stewart Daily show called uh, like do you need rapture insurance and the <laughs> skit it was a it was a bit you know and the bit was if you, like rapture you may rapture one day suddenly and you should have some insurance and the insurance will send people emails and let people know you're raptured we knew this bit and so i popped open and i i actually did go like the nothingness that was here went and met this friend and but it did itself it met this friend and i was like watching right and and for instance we went for dinner i didn't eat anything i just was this witness and everything was just like this like nothingness appearing as if it was something and it was sort of like these peripheral but but when i came home which 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 it was it was just like a block away so it was like it was a hysteria i mean i can imagine if there was like a gopro filming me like what it was like to walk that block away or meet that like what what i looked like what was going on but and i came home i didn't sleep uh because there it just was it it was just this vast silence nothing and it kept rolling it kept going deeper even like still deeper and there was just nothing arising and so sometime in the next afternoon, I had said to my roommate, um, I, I raptured. <laughs> and then she knew this bit. And she was like, you raptured. And then she was like, oh, did you Eckhart Tolle? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I think I Eckhart Tolle'd. Like, um, oh, I love it. Which, and then she was like, I'm going to call Christopher. And I was like, okay. And then Christopher, when he tells a story, he says the phone rang and he saw me because Christopher is also vastly awake being. It turns out this man is was enormously, enormously awake, a hugely um, conscious man. I, I, from my ordinary functional mind, I would ne I could never recognize that at all. Um, but he had saw me. He picked up the phone and he knew. Again, life had woven the threads of his life, you know, like, and so he picked up the phone and she said, my roommate that you met the other night seems to have Eckhart tolle And he said, I know, I'll be there. And then, and then as he came, this awareness, like that it's not registering time and space or distance. I knew Christopher was my husband. That's what I knew. Uh, it, which I will say, not in this lifetime. And I, and Kieran has no thing. It was just like, 
I was so out of time and space and Vast Source was here and Vast Source was, was like watching from a peripheral these like choice movements mm. and there was bits of information coming in. And so Christopher came and then for the next two and a half years really became a, a guide of mine. And and he had actually spent a bit of time with Ajashanti and a bit of time with another beautiful teacher, Moki um, Joe Sousa, um, and had sort of lived in and around this community where they lived in Northern California and where there's a lot of awake people. And he, we were in Canada at the time, like I was in Canada, he's Canadian. Um, and he was aware of a larger community of awakeness um, and, and people teaching because he wasn't, he wasn't a teacher. He, mm. he, he was an actor and director, um, enormously awake, beautiful, beautiful being. Um, anyway, so I had this beautiful mentor kind of walk me through just the two of us, you know, um, clearing out past lives when we were married, you know, like clearing that stuff was clearing out i eventually learned to kind of read a type of coding that was in silence to start to recognize form and he would help guide quite a lot and um yeah i had wonderful support i had some beautiful support too from uh, moni van golen she's another beautiful non-dual teacher she's actually eckhart tolle's best friend and um works a lot in his style of of work and um there there was just that we just sort of like life brought all kinds of support under me mm. and sort of created a, a through line for me mm -hmm. and um and that was really helpful yeah so i think someone watching this probably is going this sounds amazing right and and like the vastness and the expansion and the formal even formlessness and all and yet, when you introduced it, you said, you know, it was obviously the very challenging times coming. And you actually, I don't know if it's your first or second chapter, but you have a book in your chapter called A, a Fairly Something Nightmare. Extreme Nightmare. A Fairly Extreme Nightmare. <laughs> and then you talk about uh, the dark night of the soul to end all dark nights of the soul. Um, so what? Ha how did that start coming into play, this the shadow stuff or the having to face all the resistance and all, whatever's there? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it is. It's the shadow and the resistance. Um, you know, it's wonderful to be able to do healing work before you open up your consciousness so enormously because then you're just healing that person. <laughs> you know, like, so in a way, I was doing, I mean, obviously I had considerably more trauma than most people in the world, but I was working with the healing tools and the therapy tools, and I, I'm working to heal this person named Kieran, you know, of these kinds of events, you know, and uh, isn't that simple <laughs> and, and um, opportunistic? Um, when you lose this, the, the, when when there's a very big opening and, and we have this like awareness of the deeper source of who we are, we lose the, any kind of a filter that would filter down deeper layers of your energetic body that are holding memory and storage um and that that once source remembers itself you know comes in remembers itself it it 
has access to all these deep layers of your energetic field. And it's going to clear and heal a lot of that stuff. The, so, so let's be precise here. If we're talking about resistance or our shadow work, we're talking about belief systems. Mm -hmm. And a belief system in its root can look like, I'm not safe. I'm not worthy. I don't belong. Um, I'm not good enough. These would be the root pain bodies. Injustice, that's another one. So it's really only like five or six. And these would be the roots. How it uniquely sort of spreads out in your life as a various resistance pattern is going to be unique to you. But these are the beliefs. And it means that we've, we're going through life and we're looking at, we're looking at a tsunami that destroys you know, the beachfront of, you know, an Indonesian town, and we're seeing injustice. Now, if that's a core belief system in you, right, you might have this injustice glasses that you put on because this is your belief, and you're like, American oil, overcapitalism, tourism that's robbing that town, they don't have a way, right? There's a million injustice stories that are filtering how you're going to look at that event. Now, what's actually occurring, the only thing that's actually occurring is a big body of water has come up out of the ocean and has swept over. What you do not see is the karmic opportunity for every single being involved. And that's animal being, plant being, human being, right? Like you do not know their karmic pathway. You do not know the karmic opportunity that's coming here. And the karmic opportunity is one thing. It is to liberate that belief. Hmm. That's what it is. We might call it healing. We might call it transformation. You can do, you call it anything, but it's to liberate these layers of these beliefs, right? So we can have this belief. We put these glasses on and we see this. Now we have an opportunity every time life hits us to see with the lenses or to take the lenses off. And this, this is what goes on. So what happens when we lose the filter that was um, kind of compartmentalizing memory, experience, story into like my life or my last two years, right? That blows out. And now in comes this beautiful, effortless, incredible presence. And it hits these multiple layers of your body that are storing these beliefs, these stories. And the story is this denser, heavier fork in there, you know? And so this beautiful, effortless presence comes in and it is itself. So it is dominant and it will take this and it will unravel it in back into itself. But as it does that, it is blowing this stuff up and your whole system is feeling like the PTSD, only, um, you know, your your mind is just on loop with the stories, all these stories, whether it's not safe or I'm not worthy or I don't belong, but versions of it, right? Your whole physiological system is just triggered and on fire because source is clearing these layers and it's doing it. It can be through Kundalini, which is just source energy touching a block wherever you're belief system is and it, it's a block of it's a denser block and as soon as that source energy hits it they have this little like 
little thing while it unravels. I sometimes imagine it's like if you turn the water on a hose, if this is the hose, and the, if this is the hose and the hose has a bend in it, uh, and then you turn the water full on and it hits the hose and the hose is going to bounce around, you know, while the water's trying to pull through. That's kundalini. Yeah. And so, so you can have crazy kundalini, you can have all kinds of, of just, Meant the mental loop is in, is 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 so much louder than what what it was. Which, if you're on this, you know, like I came this way, but if you're in this journey heading up, at an ordinary consciousness, you can already be like, my mind drives me crazy. Like it is already too much, and it's like, guess what? It it's it can be way worse. <laughs> it can be way 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 worse. But there's an opportunity. The opportunity is that as it gets worse, you have less of a choice. Mm -hmm. And so you have less of a choice to escape, less of a choice to distract, and less of a choice to indulge the belief system mm -hmm. of injustice or whatever. So the, the opportunity, the beautiful karmic opportunity, as you're, once you awaken and you lose the filters that, that condensed the story, and now all these layers of your energetic body that have hold the story for many lifetimes gets this clean thing. Gets, gets to go through this washing machine of source and all of this stuff starts to come up. It, you're just given this beautiful opportunity and that's the opportunity. It's like you start to lose the choice to, to should I do my work or not? Right. It's like you got to do your work. You're going to do it. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree that that this stuff is rooted in belief, actually. You know, a belief in, in, and sometimes I'll say, we may have different terminology around this, but I, I want to ask you a question about it. Like, sometimes I'll say, a belief is essentially just a thought, but when it's when it's forming the view of your experience of reality, it's not just a thought. It feels very real. It feels like you. It feels like your agendas and your motivations and your drives and get co-ops everything. Um, so so the, the trick, I think, is once you know the, that belief can do this, the trick will be, how do you find the beliefs? How do you look? You know, of course, well, you can be blown out, blown open. You can have shifts in identity. That'll do it. But at some point, you become, pro hopefully, you become proactive at it. You start to do it in a more gentle, loving, uh, spontaneous way. Uh, how do you recommend for people who understand what we're saying that, yeah, my my fixations are beliefs, my resistant patterns, my reactivity is ultimately belief-based if I can just find the belief. How do you help people orient to finding those beliefs that are causing them pain, causing them dysfunction, causing them self-sabotage and so forth? Um, yeah. Well, on the one hand, I agree with you when we say it's just a thought. But sometimes when you say that it's just a thought, people think of those things in the head mm -hmm. as thoughts. That is not where belief is. Like, mm -hmm. it's not the simplicity of like, then change your mind. And that's right, just right. the belief. The belief yeah. is deeply anchored into your body and mm -hmm. on multiple levels of, of your energetic body. It's literally like, you know, like you can take a picture of like um, fascia that is contracted and disconnected from other parts of fascia. Then it's not actually getting the nourishment of a whole connected fascia field. Mm -hmm. And that disconnected pull away is not safe not safe not safe been propelled in our system like i'm not safe i'm not safe pulling away from the connected whole for many many lifetimes we've been playing not safe not safe not safe pulling us away 
and and you can you can actually see pictures of it in our physical body. It's in our so it's our it's in our physiological structures. It's in our energetic structures. It's embedded in our emotional structures. There's an enormous backlog of it can just be terror. It's just you could just be like terror is nothing but an emotion, and that's true. But our mind can oversimplify that and be like sure sure. But like when there is a lot of terror moving through your system, it sure don't feel like just an emotion you know like yeah but it's this backlog held in these energetic chambers that exist as your body and they need to be all it needs is the simple off gas right like it's it really is just an emotion and we can just off gas it Mm -hmm. but when it hits us in the extremity of it in the intensity of it it's a practice to learn how to see it as just an emotion or see it as just a thought or see it as you know like that's a really important practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to answer your question is, we have, I do in my work, we have a lot of like mini courses. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a big course program. It runs those three semesters um, That's a that are, you know, each course is about three months long. So it's, it's like a, a full year worth of coursework. Most of my community, um, you know, it's like you're taking a university course and they stay in that. It's just these theories of this three class. And mm-hmm. I have students in there doing it for the eighth year now, you know, coming through or ninth year. So it's like this university program of just liberation, incredible liberation. And and those students live a profound level of fulfillment and effortlessness and, and connectedness, you know, washing through all these belief systems coming around and around and washing them through. But in the mini trainings, for instance, one of the tools that we use um, is learning how to literally just say yes to everything that's arising internally. And when we have this practice, like even just like a, like we do it as a week long practice and I guide people through it. It's not quite as simple as that, but let's just use this for an example. If we just start to say yes, 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 we can start to see the mind is playing out a lot of story. You know, a lot, a lot, a lot of story, story on story on story, tracks. And then we start to, and, and we're just saying yes to everything that arises in, in us. So we're starting to feel, you know, this kind of like, whether it's jealousy or nervousness or anxiety or overwhelm or whatever you call it, my nervous system being decentralized, like whatever your terminology is, we're just saying yes. And we're watching it arise. And as we're starting to watch all of this arise, we can start to see it's all coming under this theme of not safe mm-hmm. or it's all coming under this theme of not good enough mm-hmm. or it's all coming under the theme of of injustice. And so, you know, there's, there's a number of different various techniques. I, I like this one because it's simple and it doesn't require anything except for just giving yourself the opportunity that when something arises and then and you can even take it anybody who's listening and just do like anything intense in a day just literally lean back and say yes just yes don't fight it don't clench around it even if the thing is to clench and fight yes to that you know yes to that and so by bringing this position consciously of non-resistance it starts to expose all the noise of your system coming up not super comfortable but very valuable insight <laughs> yeah well the next question i had based on this is um what you're taught the the process you're talking about um is very powerful um and 
how do you, I mean, it's through experience at your, your personal level, but how would you recommend someone else gauge how much of that they can handle? Because there is potential to re-traumatize yourself if you pull too much up at one time, for instance. I mean, there's there's a, there's a balance that has to happen, I, I find, especially with people who have um, massive amounts of trauma. It, it's there, there's, it, you can't, it's even if you, you, you would, you would want to snap your fingers and it'd just be gone or do it all at once in a really painful you know moment or week or year, but it doesn't really work like that. It kind of comes at a certain pace and, and I think it can be overwhelming for some people at some time. Uh, do you, do you give people tools to manage that or? Yeah. And, and, I would say, you know, like on one side, I, could, I like I so agree with you. And I would laugh because I would say, well, that's what therapy is these days. Like you literally go in and re-traumatize yourself. You go talk to a therapist. It's a lot of telling your story and having your story re- reiterated, which is a type of re-traumatizing. Mm-hmm. And I would say the best that we're getting out of our current therapeutic models is something like catharsis. Mm-hmm. And catharsis is like man, you got to re-go over all those events and re-go over all those things in order to get some level of catharsis. Catharsis to me is a small win. That is a very small win. That ain't transformation. Mm -hmm. And you, so on the one side, I completely agree with you, but I would say there are so many ways that we call therapeutic that are actually just re-traumatizing completely. And so, yeah, we can re-traumatize ourselves simply by by the separate me digging for something. Um, what what I would say is that there is this really beautiful way that can bring up the residue of these belief systems from our system and yet in a very gentle, very hands-off way. And that is by harnessing the power of source, the source energy, and letting source energy come in collaboratively. So, so it's like a collaborative relationship which you harness this relationship. Now, in my work, in all my tools, we do not promote like you have to be awake in order to have access to source. 0% true, 0% an actuality. What is listening to me right now, what's listening to the show is an awareness. You're already there. Like you have everything inbuilt because the because source energy is not separate from you. It's not different from who you are. It's, it was here the first moment you opened your eyes. It's been with you the whole time. And so it is completely capable. You are you are built out to be able to harness this energy because it's of you and let this energy come in and hold and transform something collaboratively with you. So in my case, there wasn't a collaboration because the me was gone. And so source came in in a really intense way and cleared out, washed out all these various belief systems. And every, you know, and this is where I get those like lucky for you, you know, or you had it so easy. <laughs> but um, and in some ways they're, they're right. They're right. There wasn't enough of a me to like resist it. So it was intense because that stuff, it's like I write in the book, it's like being like wide awake through the heart of war, right? With no ability to trance out or or disconnect and just sort of like so, con- like the pure consciousness of pure heart, pure compassion, watching war, you know, and that moving through my system, right? Like it's intense, but this, this is, as you say, it's very rare. This is a very rare experience. And in fact, I would argue it's because I have been awake in other lifetimes which I saw in many, many lifetimes. I have been awake. I have been a teacher. 
there was already a connected pathway in this larger energetic being. And so this level of spontaneous out of the blue arose because there was already a connected process. So boof, there it happens. It's very rare because when we look at the history of humanity, we do not see a lot of very awake people, <laughs> you know, throughout humanity. It was pretty rare. It's not so rare these days. These days, it's great. These days, people are popping off at the local McDonald's. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's, the change is coming. But, um, but so we'll be seeing more and more spontaneous levels of awakening in future, you know, generations and things because the more and more pathways are created. But that being said, um, when we can harness the energy of source, which is to say what I said at the beginning of this interview, when we can just be silent, like I learned how to be silent and just let the inspiration arise. It's like, it can be as simple as that. It's, it's as simple as like allowing yourself to be quiet. And, you know, and, and to that end, we have on my YouTube channel, I have so many guided meditations into silence, you know, that that we are built out to do. You, you don't need a special training or a special apparatus to do this. Like I didn't have any re religious or spiritual background, but through the practice of being with people, I realized there's this place where you just have to learn to be. And in that quietness, and this is something you beautifully talk about a lot. I've watched you do it on the show. There's this feel you know and there's this quiet presence and because you are not separate from it you have no blocks to it for real except for your belief system right of being blocked and so here this is this quiet field of presence and this quiet field of presence can just come in and literally love on a part of your body that has a density hmm. and it, it can be that simple so it can be like you know, I, I come here because most people have enormous heartbreak, whether they're conscious of it or not, but heartbreak is such a very human experience. And so to let that, like to sit in quiet, and maybe that takes you two minutes or maybe that takes you two hours, but how delicious to let that quiet sort of steep into you. And then as it steeps into you, you can actually move it to the dense place. And it's going to do that same thing. It's going to come over and it's going to start to unravel what heartbreak is, which is these dense, disconnected pieces. That's what pain is, right? Yeah. Like pain is this dense, disconnected. And what source does is it comes in and reconnects it. And now it has this larger field and it comes back to itself. It loses its heaviness. It loses its density and starts to have this real effortless that it's, that it originally is made of. And, and that that is what healing is. And that is also what transformation is. And in doing this, you don't actually have to recall through your mind events. And you don't actually have to like purge emotions. And you don't have to actually sit down with the people who harmed you and hash it out. You know? And you don't actually have to get witnessed by someone else to see if it's true or not. Like we can cut all that out. Mm. And just harness this beautiful energy that you're built out to have that it's not going to be blocked from you. It, it's available. We've, you know, I've worked with thousands of people and I have a larger team now that works with me. And Megan Rokel, amazing PhD psychologist, 
also an awakened woman, very deeply awake, who lives, you know, very, very free, fulfilled life. She's also a coach in my practice. We have some other coaches, some energy healers who work inside of our toolkit and inside of our tool base. And, you know, like you like we've never met someone who wasn't capable of finding that silence and harnessing it quite quickly, quite yeah. quickly. So this is completely available. And the beauty of this is it starts to be collaborative. It's a collaborative movement. And by by that collaboration, by you connecting to the silence, you guiding it over to where it is, it has an inbuilt what you can manage. Hmm. You know, it doesn't tend to, you know, it doesn't do too, like, you're, you're, you still get this illusion of control, you know, like, you still get the illusion of control. You get to harness the energy. You get to apply the energy. The energy is like a balm. It's like a soothing balm. Mm. And we're working at the physical, which I would say is the root, the actual. We're working at that, you know, whether it's that fascia. We're working at the actual muscle. We're working on the actual nerve ending. And, and we're cutting out all the middle stuff. And as we do that and it starts to liberate, we start to have a, a much bigger awareness of what was sitting there. Because if what was sitting if what is sitting there is heartache and in one kind of hour or two that you're sitting with silence and you're just loving all over this density and parts of it are starting to uncurl and reconnect to the bigger field. Now now this piece is what was heartbreak is now consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's now awareness. And it and it has a connected flow so now you can walk around for the rest of the afternoon with a little more connected field mm. and in that connected field you will naturally have more awareness and so you have naturally more consciousness naturally more awareness which allows you to collaborate even more it's kind of a really self-nourishing process mm. um and this is the process that we do in a lot of our courses That's beautifully stated yeah yeah um so tell us a little bit about your podcast. You you mentioned it briefly, and I'm curious about it. This is it's reasonably new. Is that true? Yeah, we we actually just do it. I did it. I do it with Meg Rokel, who's one of our um, coaches in our team, and she and I have this wonderful, light, uplifted, fun chat about um, we call it humans decoded. So we're decoding some of the human patterning, and specifically, we're doing it in this really fun way. So, excuse me, I want to take a drink here. No, please do. I'll do the same. Yeah, let's all take let's all take a water break. Everybody listening, take a water break. So, what we do in the podcast um, is what is like we we call it this. We say this: there are however many billions of people in the world, billions and billions of people in the world, but there are actually only six different types of human suits. We call it or human avatars. And those human avatar suits that we're each wearing sort of beautifully or funnily or magically fall into what looks like a dwarf or a hobbit or an elf or a fairy or a gnome. Um, Why well, make it up? It's not, you know, coming out of some kind of folkloric thing. It's actually real. It's a real thing. Um, sidebar. There are subtle energy creatures that live in our world, and maybe many of your audiences can see these subtle energy creatures or have interactions with them. So by subtle energy, 
They're not normally visible to most people. You need some level of a clairsentience to be able to spot them. Um, and they might look like angelic beings. They could look like elf beings or gnome beings or dwarf beings. Like, And so I'm not referring to that, which is a subtle energy awareness. Um, but I'm talking about this, like your human suit. Yeah, like an and archetype, sort of. It's an archetype. It's an archetype. And it's very visible. And and you've been living in this world watching it. Like like anyone, anyone can easily identify it. It's very, 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 it's very present. It's right out there. I just work with so many numbers of people, like thousands of people, that I start the patterns start to come up. And Megan Rokel, who's the who has a psycho who has a PhD in psychology, also has worked in clinic with hundreds and hundreds of people. And so she sees, she saw these same patterns. And what happens is the two of us got together, we're like, there's these patterns, right? Um, and we decided to just like come out of the closet with be like, listen, there's this pattern. We didn't invent it. You're looking at it. And as soon as we point it out, you're going to see it because it's uh, everywhere. Mm -hmm. And what it does is by saying like, look at, recognize your human suit. Are you a hobbit? If you're a hobbit, then these are your kinds of pathways and these are the clothes you like to wear. These are the foods you like to eat. This is the pace in which you, you move through a task. Mm -hmm. This is how you think about a task. And then it's like, it gives people permission to just be really authentic mm -hmm. and then see these layers of, of belief system they have on top. So for instance, let's use, let's use a hobbit. A hobbit is somebody who is hard on their sleeve, very like big eyed, so um, silly, a lot of wit, a lot of playfulness, uh, fantastic gardeners. <laughs> they move slowly. They move, they like to kind of meander. They like to uh, go for a slow walk. And when they're um, thinking through a task, they need to feel it. They need to actually touch it to understand it. So there's a very beautiful um, gardener. Uh, he's very famous. His name is Monty Don. He's a British from the BBC. Uh, he's a superstar. People have watched him for dozens of years. He's a hobbit. And he is so obviously a hobbit. He, he's a brilliant man. He's so brilliant. And one time he did this documentary on Japanese gardens and he couldn't understand them. He was looking at pictures of gardens. And he was looking at models of these Japanese gardens, but he couldn't understand how they were gardens, even though he's brilliant. What he had to do was go walk the mountains in Japan. Mm. And in walking and touching and being in the environment, he went, oh, I get it. There's this tree coming out of the rock. Oh, yeah. And then in the garden, there's a rock. And then it just has this one tree. Oh, I get it. You know, like yeah. I, it is a garden. It, it's it's bringing this sensation to me. So he has to feel it. He has to touch it. That's how his intelligence comes together. He's a slow moving potterer. He likes to walk around. Um, this is it. So, so there could be a lot of hobbits in your community listening to this. And they're often feel pressurized to move faster. Ah, like move faster, think faster. Um, Pressured and, by social constructs, by society, social constructs. certainly Western society, yeah. Yeah, by Western society, by family members, by influential leaders that they value, whether that's 
a church or whether that's your community of peers, mm. um, whether that's you have a mentor who's more elfy. Um, I'm an elf, so I think really fast. I've got lots of ideas. I'm very structural. I'm very systematic. Um, I, I, I sit and see and witness patterns, but I'm not very good at execution. I'm not very good at, like, I know what we could have for dinner tonight in my family, and I can sense, like, what would be delicious, but I'm not good at getting up and going to the kitchen and making it. Luckily, I have hobbits in my family. And <laughs> hobbits are very good at execution, not great at the ideas. Yeah. So they're better at, so what they do is they walk into the kitchen and then they they open the fridge and they yeah. smell what's there. And then they're like, what do we put together? But I have already said pasta with sausage and, you know, like, and so, um, but as a, let's say as a hobbit, you, you, there's an idea, like maybe the publishers are telling Monty Don that he has to publish this book by this date or... They're telling him he needs to like write more effluently with these more ideas, but he his writing style is really tactile. Do you know what I mean? Like, so you can be getting these pressure systems put on top of your authentic role constantly, but then you have your own not good enough. For instance, hobbits get a lot of not good enough because the world is pressuring them to move faster and think faster. Mm -hmm. And so there's this constant indulgence of not good enough not good enough not good enough and so then it's like not uh, not good enough and i should be doing this this and this i should like this and this and a lot of people are very much lost the compass of where their authenticity is at all hmm. like yeah like completely lost and so this is just a really fun every episode's 30 or 40 minutes in which we're talking about these different blueprints we're talking about their authentic patterns uh, we're answering questions for people, anybody who has questions to write in about themselves. And it's really a journey to help you just like pull away the layers and from the inside out, find yourself, find your own beat, your own drum, your own rhythm, your own uniqueness. And we talk a lot about the fellowship, how like all the patterns coming together makes such a glorious community. You only want one fast idea person. You only want one. Fairies are very innovative and out of the box and kind of chaotic. You need one of those in the room. Yeah. You want one methodical, hard on their sleeve executor. The gnomes, the gnomes, of, which I point to you because you are a gnome. Um, gnomes are researchers. They are going to research everything. They have this really fine sensibility and fine sensuality, and they are going to dig down into the layers to find just the perfect microphone, just the perfect sound, just the whatever. And they're going to have all the detail. They can contain so much detail, those gnomes. So they're going to, so if you need to purchase something, you got to go to a gnome. They're going to know the best thing for you. Hmm. If you need like any kind of background, because a gnome is going to, they're not going to the research. They're going to go 360 and really find. So as a result, gnomes they like to like you know they're not like moving super fast with ideas you know and they're also like gnomes are brilliant executors because there's so much research they've really you know like they want to take that record out and they want to put it on the record and they want to listen to like every note of music and and understand how that you know blues player is feeling and thinking and what equals that you know and they want to 
gnomes have the best coffee, the best spices, the best tea, you know. Gnomes are profound artists, true artists, like, oh, the meticulousness of the detail, right? So you want one of those in the camp with you, you know, like, dwarfs are warriors. They're really, really resistant people. They can get hit hard and it'll just roll off their back and keep moving. No problems, man. All good. Uh-huh. And they're, they're, they can get up at six in the morning and they can just work their butt off till seven at night and feel like, what a great day. What a great day. So you want one of those in the camp too, yeah. you know, like, so understanding the human avatar suit like that you're in in this lifetime and it's really connected to your karmic purpose. Like you're the suit you have in this incarnation. Like I'm very elfy. I was an elfy in other lifetimes, you know, like I had different, different suits on the, the suit in this one is really elfy because like being able to articulate and strategize and map and ideas, that's what I do, right? Like I'm, super clear. I map the pathway to freedom. I give you these very direct, straight, no bullshit tools. Like this is very healthy. Mm. You know, so it's, it's my, it, it helps aid my purpose. So that's what the podcast is about. It's, cool. it's a fun, listen, very lighthearted, very magical, and gives you a chance to start to see these different, the different suits of the people around you in your own world and help help you to have more permission to be authentically who you are and then to give that same permission to the people around you let the hobbits move or slowly you know let the let the gnomes do the research you know let them do it you know elves you don't have to execute anything you just come up with the great ideas you know like fairies are the innovators let them be sparkly and goofy and all over the place because that innovation we want it you know Mm, so yeah love it i love it super cool (laughs) Are you planning on having like a like an interview or a conversation with each of those types of archetype people, like someone you know, maybe who, I don't know, just the thought. I'd be kind of. I love it. I love it. Um, right now, it's just just Meg and I riffing. Mm. Um, but what's her, what yeah, her, I mean, what's her uh, what's her character? She's a hobbit. Okay. Yeah, Megan's a hobbit. Um, and so, and she was married, and she, her mother was a fairy, so she has a lot of experience with very direct intimate lifestyle with fairies i've been very life um yeah i have had a lot of family and different people in my life who are human which is a different avatar as well a little complicated because we're humans but um yeah so we riff on that we riff on obviously our community and stuff like that but i love that idea we'll pick it up we have a lot of people in our community who who very authentically you know with our pointing and with our maps but the whole point of a map is that you find that step from the inside it, you know, like from the yeah. inside out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's that's what we're mapping is our internal pathway. Mm. And so it's a great idea to bring in some of the different avatars who have mapped that authenticity. We have an elf. Elves eat a lot of protein and specifically animal protein. Mm. And... There's a million different articles out there about how weakened people can only be vegetarian. But um, I don't know. Are you vegetarian? No, no. no. I I, I care. Met- I care. I care about. I mean, I, I genuinely care about factory farming, how animals are treated. Um, you know, I I generally don't eat beef. I generally don't eat pork. I will eat chicken, and I I love like seafood. But I can also yeah. eat vegetarian meals very easily too. If it's well prepared, it can be really tasty. 
really good. And as a no, vegetarian is a, an option for you. And also, but as an elf, elves have very fast systems. They need very dense animal proteins and they do a lot of pork, a lot of beef, a lot of like, it's important. I I agree with you. It doesn't mean that I think that how we're um, doing most of our animal husbandry in the world is, is good. I think it can absolutely improve we in our household buy sustainable. So we act, you know, like we have a farmer, we have who do really sustainable farming and that's the animals that we eat. But, you know, not everybody has access to that. There are food deserts there. Are, you know, like we can talk about all this kind of stuff, but we can, but when we're talking about it, we want to talk about it from the place of like, what is solution and how do we inhabit really delicious solution as opposed to like, um, seeing it through the filter of just pure and, you know, like, like new technology is incredible. And we have like, we live in 2023 and there's so much of our life that is so much better as a result of technology in, a, in every single way. Do we have room to improve? Hell yes. Hell yes. But is it amazing the level of access that most people have? Hell yes. Yeah. So, but yeah, so I would say like, so for instance, elves need a lot of protein and I have a, we have a, one of, one of the coaches who works with us is an energy healer is an elf and her journey to finding how much protein she really does want in a day, you know, it took three or four years. And, and I think that is a beautiful story and yeah, we should definitely do that. We, we just started, we're on our 14th episode. So, um, I'm going to let Meg know. I think it's a great idea. Yes, please. We'll do that. That'd be interesting. Yeah. So um, where can people find all of your resources? I want to mention your book because, like I said, I read uh, probably half of it, which is actually a lot for me. I don't read like spiritual books and stuff. I just almost never read anything. But um, but it, it's good. It's called Tools for Sanity. It's available on Amazon. You can get them at Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Like there's there's I don't know where people are listening from. Some local booksellers have it in their in okay. their bookstores. But okay. Amazon's probably the quickest, the simplest. There's a digital copy you can get from my website quite inexpensively as well. So it's okay. kierantrace.com. Um, I'm sure you'll One have word. it in the show notes. kierantrace.com. K-I-R-A-N. Okay. Uh, That's my name, Kieran Trace. But one word, kierantrace.com. Um, the podcast is there. So kierantrace.com slash podcast. Okay. Um, all those beautiful mini trainings. Um, and I'm going to say, like, so for your audience who's listening right now, we have a, this wonderful course. I'll put it up there for for them, for you guys listening. Um, it's the course is called the Nine Day Challenge. So we'll just we'll put it up for for free for you guys. So anybody who's listening to this, you can head to the website. I'll get my web guide and just pop it up there as a gold bar at the head of the thing. Okay. Um, he can kind of do that quickly. It'll just be like Nine Day Challenge. So just so just go to the website, click Nine Day Challenge. It'll ask you obviously sign up for the newsletter. Um, but really, it'll pop you into this beautiful nine-day course we, we we have. We normally offer it on the mini trainings. Um, and what it does is it shows you how to like come into that yes that we were talking about, yeah. and how to start to harness some of that that silence in the space and to start to make choices and decisions in your life from that place mm. instead of the filters of all those beliefs. So I think that that's a great course for your community, especially given this conversation. So I'll just send them a text and we'll put it up there for free for anybody listening to this podcast. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, and I think that. that's a place, great place to start. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. So we'll, I'll put your website there. Um, I'll get your, um, the, the podcast on the website. I'll put a link to your book and your YouTube channel as well. And on behalf of my, anyone who watches this, thank you for, for that. It's very, very nice. And I'll get a hands-on um, exploration of what you do. So I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. It's All nice right. to chat. Thanks Thank so much. Time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. And I'm sure we'll talk again. Yeah. Take care.